0: Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you, study the Bible, and to learn God's will for our lives. Um, the message that we have to consider this morning is entitled, um, Why Should You Believe in You? Father in heaven, we thank you that you've brought us here together to worship, to learn, and to grow I ask that you would anoint this message, you would give it your spirit, help it to be an encouragement and inspiration to someone here. Father, we thank you for your love and for your mercy, for your grace that has given us an opportunity to be a part of your family, a part of your kingdom. Lord in heaven, help us to see. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As I said, the message is entitled this morning, Why Should You Believe in You? And we begin by turning to the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. We'll begin reading together this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and beginning in verse 1. 1st Timothy chapter 2 beginning in verse 1 we read together Therefore i exhort first of all that supplications prayers intercessions and the giving of thanks be made for all men for kings and all who are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence For this is good and acceptable In the sight of God our Savior, who desires how many men to be saved? My Bible says, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for how many? For all to be testified in due time. The Bible says that God desires everybody to be saved. Now, to desire something and to desire to do what it takes to get something are two very different things. God can want everyone to be saved, but if God is not willing to do what it takes to offer everyone salvation, then even God's infinite desire for all to be saved will amount to nothing. You can determine how bad someone wants something by what they're willing to do for it. Do you follow that? Yes or no? God has a desire. He has a passion. His passion is for the salvation of the lost, for the restoration of the hurting and the broken, the blind and the confused. That's Desire, that's his passion. But just like any person, a passion to attain something is not enough. Rather, it takes a desire to get what you have a passion to obtain or, or to a pa- what you have a passion to get. God doesn't just, according to scripture, want all men to be saved, but he does what it takes to offer all men Salvation. The Bible communicates to us in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 17. It says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. Let him who hears say, Come. And whoever thirsts, let him come and take the water of life freely. So in Scripture, we see that God has a desire for all to be saved, that God does what it takes. In order to offer salvation to all, he gives a ransom for all. And more than that, furthermore, he actually sends an invitation to all, to everyone. Black, white, red, yellow, poor, rich, American, non-American, Democrat, Republican, Muslim, Hindu. He pays a ransom for every single one and he sends an invitation to every single one. This communicates that God values every single one. You don't pay a ransom for all if you do not value all. Does that make sense? Now it's interesting because God, it seems, has a different way of valuing people than I do. If people are of no benefit to me or of no service to me or of no use to me, I don't value them. It just makes common sense. If you can do nothing for me, then why would I value you? Because you need to be of service to me if I'm going to value you. I don't pay ransom for people if I don't think that they're going to be of use to me. There are very few human beings who are of use in a practical sense to God. In a practical, physical sense, very few people are of use to God. God doesn't value people obviously the way that I value people because he pays a ransom for all. And I wouldn't pay a ransom for all if, I, uh, if, if I'm not benefited by all. Does that make sense? Here in scripture we see that God must value all because he pays a ransom for all. I wouldn't pay a ransom for all because not everybody is of use to me. Not everybody is a benefit to me. I'm a selfish individual person. And if I assess other people and I can come to the logical conclusion that they're selfish too and they're looking out for number one, if they're not going to be of service to me or benefit me, then I'm not going to value them. God has a different way of valuing people than you and I, obviously. And that's exhibited by the fact that he's willing to do what it takes in order to offer everyone salvation. As I said before, you can determine how much someone really wants something by what they're willing to do in order to get what they say that they want. How much does God want your salvation? How much does God want the salvation of all? Well, he wants it more than he wants to exist. God wants you more than he wants to exist. And that's demonstrated by what he was willing to give for you. He has a different value system than you. And he has a different value system than me. Because he paid a ransom for all, even though not everybody is of use or of service to him. He's not selfish like you are. He's not selfish like me. He has a different standard of determining value than you or I. He must, because he paid a ransom for all. Now, I just want to make a point here that I think will be practical and beneficial for you personally and in your ministry as a servant of Christ. If God desires all to be saved, and if God pays a ransom for all, and if God sends an invitation to all, obviously God values all. Why does he value all, if all are not of use to him? It must be that he, God, our heavenly father, our creator, doesn't just see us as a race as we are, he sees us as we can be. He sees us in Christ. We see what people are. That's why we only value people if they are of use to us. They're selfish, they're twisted, they're covetous, they're greedy, they're just looking out for number one. And that's what we see, and that's why we don't value everybody. But God doesn't see us the way we see others. Amen? He sees people for what they can be. That's why he values all, and that's why he pays a ransom for all. I um, was baptized um, about 13 years ago um, at an ASI convention in Orlando, Florida. And, um, you know, several months before I was baptized, I couldn't actually believe that I would have been baptized. Whoa, this thing is super heavy. <laughs> I thought I was just going to go over and get a little stool, but this thing is massive. ASI knows how to get purchase good stools it's very heavy so I almost couldn't pick it up <laughs> whoa I was baptized 12 13 years ago something like that at an ASI convention in Orlando Florida and um, I was only at the youth for Jesus meetings that pastor Ashwick was preaching at because I had received an invitation from my mom my mom is a very determined person and that's the kindest way to describe her when it came to her approach to sharing the gospel with her children, determined. Some people would say stubborn, hard-headed, aggressive. I'll say she was determined. And she invited me to come and hear the messages being preached by the team, the evangelistic team that ASI had funded to preach in Orlando, Florida. And when she asked me to come, I considered in my mind, do I want to go? No, I don't want to go. But if I say to mom, I'm not going, oh, it's just going to have a few weeks of conflict and headaches and arguments. And I'll just say yes. And so I said to my mom, yeah, I'll go and listen to this preaching. And I thought to myself that she'd forget. And that's why I said yes, because the chances of her forgetting, if I say yes, I'll go, we better than the chances of her leaving me alone if I said, no, I won't go." So I said, yes, I'll go." And uh, when the meetings came, um, much to my chagrin at the time, she hadn't forgotten, and she said to me, she said, "Hey, you know, these meetings are happening. this great young preacher is preaching, he's a lot like you, and he has similar hobbies and likes and dislikes, and so you might want to come and listen to him preach I wasn't all that impressed and I didn't want to go but I went anyways and I remember um, through the course of those meetings my mom I ended up going one night two nights three nights and I appreciated the messages and I appreciated the passion and the conviction it wasn't something that I was going to avail myself of or give myself to I just kinda was gonna go through the motions and sit through these meetings and be uh, you know a person who avoided the conflict with my mom and uh, through the course of the meetings, my mom decided that she was going to be baptized in that series of meetings. rebaptized actually. And, um, and so every night, since she was my ride, I would sit in the baptismal classes that they had there in the tent uh, at that evangelistic series. And so my mom's here, the group of people are behind us, and I'm sitting here. And uh, one of these evenings, as I'm sitting there listening uh, to the rebaptismal class... A pastor came up to me. He used to work with ASI as an evangelism coordinator. His name was Louis Torres. And uh, he's a very unique individual in, in many different ways. You know, he wears like the old-fashioned, like tight-pants suits. And he has like the slick, you know, kind of 1950s, like you don't know if it's plastic hair, hairdo kind of a thing. And, um, you know, he's a very distinguished man. A very... Self-possessed, confident-looking man, you know. And for from the perspective of a non-Adventist, you know, worldly-minded crazy guy, and he's a very unique character, you know. Um, and I remember I'm sitting there, kind of just going through the motions, listening to these classes, thinking whatever I was thinking. And um, Pastor Louis Torres came walking up to me, you know, with his calm, casual swagger. And he had known who I was as a kid. And, um, and he recognized me sitting in the re-baptismal class. And uh, I remember he looked at me and he said, Son, I'm so happy to see. I'm so happy to see that you are going to be re-baptized. <laughs> and I thought to myself, boy, this this weird old guy is crazy i was just sitting there and i was like whatever <laughs> crazy old guy you know with this crazy with this shiny suit and his slick hair i'm like yeah right like sure i'm going to be rebaptized right you know son i'm so happy to see that you are going to be rebaptized and you know it's just was very unusual to me. And I looked at him and I said, sir, you know, with all due respect, I'm not getting (laughs) baptized, you know. I'm just here with her, you know. I'm just. And literally, ASI, he looked at me, totally unfazed, as if I hadn't even spoken. And he said, son, I am so happy to see that you are going to be (laughs) Rebaptized. <laughs> and I, I, I literally, I was like, crazy old man. <sighs> okay. God values all because he doesn't just see all as they are, he sees us as we can become. So, Pastor Torres, he didn't just see me for what I was. He saw me for what I could become. And in seeing me for what I could become, he helped me to see how God sees me. And he empowered me to be more than I was. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 9. Matthew chapter 9. In verse 9. The Bible says there, in Matthew 9 and verse 9, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw, now keep that word in your mind, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. Most likely, he's looking at a man who was an extortioner, whose love for money was greater than his love for principles. An unscrupulous man who would compromise relationships and righteous principles for greed's sake. That's what he saw. A depraved, perverted little sinner named Matthew the tax collector. He saw an extortioner. That's physically what Matthew was. That's what Matthew was sitting there. Jesus saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And lo and behold, he says to him, Follow me. So Matthew arose and followed him. If Jesus is saying, follow me to Matthew, he is obviously communicating to Matthew that he has confidence that Matthew can follow him. And he's communicating to Matthew, I don't just see you as you are. I see you as you can be. I see you for what you can become. I don't just see an extortioner. I see a prophet. I don't just see a covetous, greedy little man. I see an apostle. I don't just see a selfish person who, who's so narrow, right, so narrow and myopic that his, 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 his ability to concern himself with the better good of others is, is, is basically non-existent. I see an unselfish person who can reflect perfectly the glory of God. I don't just see you as you are, Matt. I see you as you can be. That's what Louis Torres did for me. And that's what Jesus did for Matthew. And that's what we're called to do for others. See them as they can be. You understand that Louis Torres was taking a risk. He was taking a risk. Wasn't he? He was acting in faith. I ridiculed him. I mocked him for his faith, I thought he was ridiculous. Didn't he see what I was? Didn't he understand reality? He's a delusional old guy. How come he's treating me as if I'm going to be baptized? How come he's communicating this confidence in me? I'm not what he thinks, I'm not what he knows. Interestingly enough, he knew more about me than I knew about me. He knew what I could be. And I didn't. He gave me a great gift. He helped me to see myself as God sees me so that I could become more than I was. Jesus did that for Matthew. He sees Matthew, and he doesn't just see what he is. Follow me, Matthew. I can disciple you. I can train you. I can work with you. And after I work with you, you're going to be something that you can't imagine. You're going to be more than you ever dreamed. The book Desire of Ages, I want to read you just a quote here. Um about the disciples and Jesus's perspective of the disciples. The desire of ages says in page 250, in the common walks of life, there is many a man patiently treading the round of daily toil. Unconscious that he possesses powers which if called into action would raise him to an equality with the world's most honored men. The touch of a skillful hand is needed to arouse those dormant faculties. It was such men that Jesus called to be his co-laborers, and he gave them the advantage of association with himself. Never had the world's great men such a teacher. When the disciples came forth from the Savior's training, they were no longer ignorant and uncultured. They had become like him in mind and character, and men took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Many people don't understand the powers that they possess, Many people don't understand that if called into action, the powers that they possess would raise them to an equality with the world's most honored men, but God knows that. He knows it about you, and he knows it about other people. Now, I just want to make a point here that will kind of turn our direction and kind of help us turn the corner in this Bible study. Although all men and women have been ransomed, Not all will be saved eternally. Is that true, yes or no? (laughs) Yeah, of course. Did God know this beforehand? Jesus says, strive to enter into the straight gate, because broad is the path and, and wide is the gate that enters into destruction, and many there are who find it. But straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads into life and few there be that find it. Obviously, Jesus knows and knew that most would be lost. Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10. I am the Lord and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Knowing the end from the beginning and declaring what will happen in the future from the former times. Surely, Scripture communicates that God knows the end from the beginning, and God knew from the beginning that in the end, most would be lost. So then why pay a ransom for all when all will not be saved? I mean, try to convince an investor to give all of his resources, invest them all into a corporation that he knows is going to fail, See see how that strategy works. It's not going to work. People make investments because they want a return on their investment. Is that true, yes or no? I mean, there's a lot of business people here. I'm not a business person. I'm a minister. Most ministers shouldn't be business people uh, because they're too optimistic often. But the the fact of the matter is is there's lots of business people here, and, and you business people know that you don't make investments when you're not going to to make a return, or even, especially if you don't even have a hope of a return, but here we see God in scripture paying a ransom for all, when he knows very well that all will not be saved, knowing very well that he will not, in many cases, receive a return on his investment. Why? Why? Why make such a monumental investment and get no return? I invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The message is entitled, Why Should You Believe in You? You're beginning to see the answer. You should believe in you, number one, because God doesn't see you as you are. He sees you as you can be, as you can be. Secondarily to that, notice what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We'll begin reading in verse 4. Familiar passage for most of us. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 4. The Bible says, speaking of godly love, and in our minds we understand that Scripture teaches that God is love. The Bible says, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes, how many things? Love does what, everyone? Love believes all things, and love hopes all things, love endures all things. Okay. God pays a ransom for all because he values all. He's not going to get a return in every case for his investment. Well then why pay for all? Because love believes, now follow this, love believes all things. Love hopes all things. This means, now follow the logic here, this means that what God knows, okay, what God knows doesn't change who God is. Who is God? What is God? God is love. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. God will not stop believing in what you can become whether or not you become that or not because what he knows doesn't change who he is as a person. He pays a ransom for all. Because as a father loves his children, he loves every single one of us with a depth and a breadth that we can't even begin to comprehend. And whether or not you accept salvation and whether or not you become what God has destined you to become and whether or not anybody becomes what God has destined for them to become, he'll pay a ransom for all because love believes all things. Love hopes all things. God is love and what he knows and what you choose isn't gonna change who he is. He's gonna believe in you till the end. He's gonna believe in you till the end. He's gonna hope in you till the end. He's not gonna choose to see you as you are, he's going to choose to see you as you can become, he's going to choose to see you in Christ, and you have the opportunity and the privilege to decide to see yourself as God sees you. You have the privilege, you have the blessing to say, God, I'll decide, I'll choose not to see myself as I am, I'll choose to see myself the way that you see me. I'll believe about myself what you believe about me. We're lost. We're lost when we just choose not to believe what God believes about us. He believes all things and he hopes all things. Why should you believe in you? Because God doesn't just see you as you are. He sees you as you can be. Why should you believe in you? Because God does. God believes in you. And if you would believe about yourself what God believes in you, you wouldn't be what you are today. I would be more than I am today if I actually believed about myself, what God believes about me. (laughs) God doesn't just see covetous people, greedy, luxurious living Americans and Canadians. He sees sacrificial servants. God doesn't just see people who love their TVs more than they love the reading of the word of God. Um, God doesn't just see people who are legalistically minded and who don't understand the gospel. God does not just see antinomians who are angry at the church because their grandma was mean to them. God does not just see people, right, who love position like Judas more than they love the service of Christ. He doesn't see those things even though that's what, in so many instances, we are. He doesn't just see people who sit on boards and play the holy role, but yet don't even have a devotional life. He sees you as you can become, and he treats you that way. Um, In Matthew chapter 23, we see a picture that could seem confusing, a picture of Jesus. He's at the end of his public earthly ministry, and he's lamenting over the, the circumstances in Jerusalem. I want to read with you verses 37 through verses 39 through verse 39 in Matthew chapter 27, and just point out something to you that could seem a little unusual, could seem a little bit awkward or out of place, really. Matthew 23, did I say 27? I meant 23. Uh, Matthew chapter 23, beginning in verse 37. Notice what the Bible says here. This is Jesus lamenting the situation in Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing See, your house is left to you desolate, for I say to you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, when Jesus here is speaking, we ought not picture a man who is speaking in a casual or relaxed tone, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, (laughs) Jerusalem. You who stone the prophets and reject those who are sent to her. Oh man, how often I wanted to gather you together under my wings. Oh, as a chick gathers, or as a hen gathers her chicks. I don't see that when I read this text of scripture. I see a man who's being torn apart emotionally. Who's conflicted between what he knows and what he is. Jerusalem, 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 you who stone the prophets, you who kill those who are sent to her, why wouldn't you allow me to protect you and to guide you and to lead you? It was your destiny to become a light to the nations. An example who would demonstrate the glory of God to the nations. What a high and holy privilege you had. But you rejected the prophets because of your proud and stubborn and obstinate hearts. And, and because, of, because of the fact that you became mm, too much in your own eyes. I wanted to lead you. I wanted to guide you. But you reject me. You're left to yourself. You see a man in conflict. A hurting person. The first time I read this passage, the first time, I thought to myself, why is he so seemingly upset? Didn't he know that they were going to reject him for a long time? I mean, even on his way to Jerusalem here, Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter 17, Matthew chapter 20, Jesus communicates to his disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem, they're going to reject me, they're going to spit in my face, they're going to pull out my beard, and I'm going to be crucified. But I'll be raised the the third day. He knew what he was getting into when he went to Jerusalem the last time. It was when he was 12 years old that he understood that he was the savior of the world there in Luke chapter two. You can see that the way that he figured it out was by watching the ceremonial services, the rites, the rituals that were being practiced there at the temple in Jerusalem. He saw himself as the lamb of God. He knew that he was going to come to his own and that he knew that his own would not accept him, that he would be rejected. So he's 12 years old and he begins to understand this. Here, he's post-30 years old. So for 18 years, the guy knows that he's going to be rejected. But yet when he is rejected, he's really, really bummed. He's falling to pieces. He almost can't contain the emotion that's pouring forth from a broken heart because of the the doom that's going to come upon a people that wouldn't allow him to be their savior, to be their God well, why are you so bummed, Jesus? You had 18 years to prepare for this letdown. Me, I prepare for these things. If I know that someone's going to disappoint me or let me down or reject me, I emotionally prepare myself for it so that I'm not so beat up once it happens. You see, what I know changes who I am because I'm selfish. But follow. What Jesus knew about Jerusalem didn't change who he was. And it didn't change his desire to see them as they could be. It didn't stop him from hoping all things, believing all things. And that's why we see him in conflict. That's why we see him hurting and in pain. So recap in one minute. God wants all to be saved, and we should all say amen. Even though he wants people to be saved who we don't like. It's always easy to hear, oh, God can save my cousin. God can save my mom. God can save me no matter how bad we get. And that's a great feeling when it's appropriated to the people that you like. But when it's appropriated to people that you don't like, oh, why would he want to save all? And you only think that because you don't realize that your sins are just as repugnant as theirs. So we should all say amen that God wants to save all because all the evil that's in the world rests within the confines of your own sinful heart. And so when you see scripture saying God pays a ransom for all, you should say hallelujah. Even if it's those that God, uh, those that you find repugnant because you're just as repugnant as they are. You just don't realize it. God pays a ransom for all, praise Jesus. He's not just the kind of person who desires and hopes. He's the kind of person who puts his his, his, puts his, his hopes into action and pays a ransom for all. He sends an invitation to all because he values all. Well, why does he value all? Because he doesn't just see us as we are, he sees us as we can be. He believes in you. He believes in you because he knows what you can become. And even if you chose to be lost, he's going to believe in you till the end. He chooses to because what he knows doesn't change who he is, and what he is. Lastly, I just want to read a quote here and just share with you a story. I'm going to go crazy today and preach one minute overtime. This is from Councils to Teachers, page 267. Ellen White says, We are living in a hard, unfeeling, uncharitable world. Satan and his angels are using every means in their power to destroy souls. The good that a teacher will do to his students or for his students will be proportionate to his belief in them. You want to do good for the world? Believe in people, because God does. You want to do good for yourself? Believe about yourself while God believes in you. My cousin Mike Barubi, he uh, was a coach, a baseball coach. I was a little kid who aspired to play baseball. I went to tryouts. And I was informed by Mike Barubi, my cousin, that I didn't have to try out. And uh, he put me on his team. I became one of the best players on his team. Home run champ. You know, that was important to me as a kid, of course. Hit lots of home runs. Always made it to the all-star teams. And made Mike Baruby look like a great coach. Um, later in life, when I was older, I asked Mike Baruby. I said, hey, man, uh, why didn't you... Um, make me try out? Why did you just accept me on on your team? Uh, Why did you believe in me? Like, why did you believe in me? Did you know? Like, did you know that I would become a good baseball player and make you look good as a coach? And he said, I didn't know, but I believed in you. Not because of what I saw, but because of what I saw you could be if I believed in you. You were my cousin, you're my my cousin. And because I'm your cousin, I chose to believe in you because of who I am. And my friends, I became an all-star because he saw me as I could become. Let's give that gift to people and let's accept that gift. Let's say to God, yes, I'll believe about myself, what you believe about me. Father in heaven, we thank you for the time, for the chance to consider some new thoughts from your word. I wish that Jesus could have just been here in person so that he could have preached the way that preaching should be done. But We thank you for the message. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you all, thank you. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org